Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We start with some breaking news tonight about a search that's underway for a light plane that's gone missing on a flight from Penticton to Edmonton with two people on board. The white single-engine Mooney aircraft left Penticton at 2.30 yesterday afternoon. It was reported overdue at 10.40 last night. Now, the pilot's cell phone was pinged at about 32 kilometres northeast of Revelstoke. Two Parks Canada helicopters and a private chopper have been searching Rogers Pass. There's also a Hercules aircraft that's been carrying out an electronic search. Now, the problem here is due to low cloud, no other aircraft has been able to fly to help with this search. There is no word yet either on who was on board the missing plane or where they are from. Keep an eye on that story. In other news, scores of BC investors, many of them from the same church, have lost millions, if not tens of millions of dollars in an apparent Ponzi scheme. The woman they hold responsible still attends that church. And as Grace Key reports, this case is a real warning to others who may be promised unusually large returns on their investments. I wanted to talk to you about your Ponzi scheme. Her name is Virginia Tan, and she's admitted to defrauding investors out of at least $30 million in what has been described as a Ponzi scheme. One of her investors, Peter Dooch. Even if it's embarrassing, I will speak out. Peter gave Tan a total of $4 million between 2011 and 2015, thinking it would be used to make short-term high-interest loans. On a 12% return, he did receive about $1.7 million. But everything unraveled in 2015 when the checks started to bounce. In a settlement with the B.C. Securities Commission, Tan admitted to fraud, using the money to make interest and principal payments to investors with funds raised from other investors. Criminal charges have not been pursued. Because of the decision of the B.C. Securities Commission to go the administrative way, I, as an investor, cannot even use this information. Go finally go to the police and say, listen, here, it's clear. Go and charge her. Kyla Lee with Acumen Law says these type of cases can be difficult to investigate. Investors rarely get their money back. And as Peter discovered when he went to the police, settlements with the BCSC can't be used as evidence in a criminal investigation. The idea is that the statements that are made in those contexts aren't voluntary. You have the state exercising some authority over you to compel you to say certain things. It seems that Virginia Tan gets away with her fraud. BC Security Commission clearly states it's fraud. I cannot use that information. There's something fundamentally wrong here in that system. Peter is in touch with some investors, more than 170 in all. They include priests and churchgoers. Global News caught up with Tan in West Vancouver as she was heading to church. No comments, okay? This is a church. A lot of them lost all of their money. It was all of their savings. And now you're going back to the same church where a lot of these people... Gave you their money? Tan is prohibited from participating in activities in the securities market. The BCSC fined her $3 million. They haven't received any of the money yet. She's filed for bankruptcy and a court-appointed trustee will liquidate her assets. Peter and other investors have filed a civil suit hoping to get their money back. Grace Key, Global News. An RCMP dive team has been called in to help look for a missing woman in Whistler. 25-year-old Alison Leanne Rasper hasn't been seen since leaving the Three Below bar in Whistler. That was late on Wednesday. There was an item belonging to her that was found at Alpha Lake. Now, that is where searchers have been looking. Rasper has long brown hair. She was last seen wearing a black jacket and a black and white striped shirt. She also had a blue backpack with her. If you have any inform- information about where Alison might be, too, do please call Whistler RCMP.
Chilliwack residents say what was once a pristine recreation area has now been turned into an open garbage dump. The banks of the Chilliwack River littered with everything from laptops to leaf blowers. And they say it is all coming from a nearby homeless camp and nothing is being done to clear the mess up. Tanya Beja reports. Along the banks of the Chilliwack River, garbage is piling up. There's like stolen bikes, there's needles, there's... Um stolen laptops, leaf blowers. Matthew Fuller often hikes the area, snapping photos of the debris left meters from a homeless camp. I have nothing against homeless people or anything, but if you're leaving needles behind for little kids to step on, then that's pretty, pretty frustrating. It's the second time people have set up tents near Teskey Rock. A homeless camp was cleared from the area last March, along with 17,000 pounds of garbage. First and foremost, our concern is that it's actually going to get into the waterway and it impacts that ecosystem and eventually it's going to end up in the ocean. The provincial government manages the land around the camp but couldn't provide an update today. Environmental advocates say conservation officers can't keep up with the mess. There's only so much they can do. In a lot of ways, their hands are tied, resources are limited. The Chilliwack Better River Cleanup Society is calling for more public education and volunteers to help clean up abandoned junk all along the river. With November's heavy rains, Matthew Fuller wonders how much will be left. I think it's a little too late now because a lot of it's washed down the river already. Tanya Beja, Global News. Now, good news if you plan to drive between Vancouver and the BC interior. Traffic is now getting through on Highway 1. That is through the Fraser Valley. The cones were removed around lunchtime for single lane traffic eastbound, that is uh, near Bridal Falls. Both westbound lanes are also now open. Uh, three mudslides came down onto the highway uh, on Thursday that left behind a lot of debris. Now crews are still rebuilding the eastbound shoulder. The weather is, a, is a, a big factor right now and, and we have to continue to monitor that. We do have a spotter on site uh, 24 hours a day to monitor the, uh, the creek. Uh, to ensure that it's flowing uh, unobstructed and uh, through our drainage features and also monitoring the, the color of the water. Crew saying it's going to be at least Monday but before both eastbound lanes are reopened. And the news not so good for drivers on the Coquihalla. Environment Canada issuing a snowfall warning for Highway 5 from Hope to Merritt. Uh, there's going to be rain during the day. That expected to turn to snow in the evening with as much as 15 centimetres being forecast. A frank admission tonight by a resource company. It made a mistake in its construction of earthen dams in the BC interior. And as Bull Johnson reports in a follow-up to a global exclusive on Thursday, it suggests that lessons may not have been fully learned from an environmental disaster that happened a few years ago. Natural gas production in BC these days often uses the method known as fracking. And fracking uses a lot of water which is why dozens of earthen dams have been built in the Peace region. Few people outside the industry have looked at them closely. But this spring, researcher Ben Parfit got a tip from a government source. Someone with deep inside knowledge tipped me off to this. Parfit discovered that dozens of the dams, including one that was seven stories high, were built without any government engineer first signing off on a design. And some were built without required environmental assessments. Very clearly, 
somebody was asleep at the switch. Uh, was there uh, was there an oversight made? As I've said, yes, there there was a, there was an oversight that occurred. Since Parfit's expose, the BC Oil and Gas Commission has said it's changing its procedures, and the minister responsible has acknowledged the mistake. It's an issue that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Now the president of Progress Energy, which built many of the dams, acknowledges a mistake on their part saying there was uncertainty about what licenses they were supposed to apply for. As soon as we became aware of that, uh, we notified the regulator. Uh, we've taken steps to correct and, and apply for the appropriate licenses. But how is there any confusion over rules about earthen dams in B.C.? Only three years ago, the province experienced a major disaster in the Caribou region when an earthen dam at the Mount Polly mine failed and spilled millions of cubic meters of waste. The Mount Polly disaster triggered calls for more oversight of earthen dams built by resource companies. So Victoria's goof up on these Peace Region dams raises questions about what, if anything, was learned from Mount Polly. And Parfit's work raised another troubling question about the safety of these particular dams, that the fracking operations they're built to support have triggered earthquakes. Progress Energy actually triggered the largest induced earthquake uh, in the natural gas industry world two years ago in the heart of where the, all of these dams are. As for Progress, their president says they pride themselves on their compliance and don't feel like the botched permitting for their BC dams was a big deal. I don't believe, Paul, that there's any dropping the ball or, or major mistakes here. Paul Johnson. Global News. A warning to both drivers and pedestrians to be extra careful after a number of serious crashes around the lower mainland this weekend. A pedestrian was killed while trying to cross 108th Avenue. This is near 146th Street just before five yesterday. Person was taken to hospital but didn't survive. The driver did stay on scene and is cooperating with police. Surrey RCMP saying speed and alcohol do not appear to be factors, but they haven't ruled out weather conditions. Burnaby Police investigating an overnight stabbing that sent a man to hospital. This was just after one on Ellesmere Avenue in North Burnaby. Witnesses saying it may have happened because of a dispute between the victim and his roommates. He was taken to hospital, not known at this stage how badly hurt he was. Now, one of BC's most notorious criminals may remain behind bars even after his se sentence is served. According to the Parole Board of Canada, Randall Hopley is still at risk to reoffend. He was sentenced to seven years for kidnapping a three-year-old boy from a home in Sparwood in 2011. Hopley hasn't completed any rehab programs. He's also being said to uh, said no to any psychological evaluations. The Parole Board recommending Hopley complete a sex offender management program before his case is reviewed next year. Now, there is a problem with rats in the Okanagan, and according to an expert, they're apparently staying put. He says they arrived a few years ago, and the problem was made worse by last spring's floods. Kelly Hayes reports. Rats, just the mere mention of them, can send shivers down a homeowner's spine. And that's why these homeowners are here at Buckerfields in West Kelowna, where they're trying to figure out how to get rid of or prevent a rat problem. A rat. Rick Formant has a rat. He heard it crawling and his furnace duck, and he wants it gone. The wife wants him gone. I want him gone. The cat ain't doing anything. The dog ain't doing anything. 
You can almost hear him chewing wood. You can hear him walking around on the, on the ductwork, too. And having a rat in your house can be costly and downright stressful. A rat got into this Kelowna couple's home a few years ago. The damage was in the thousands of dollars. It's looking like it's going to be about a ten grand bill. And they're all over Kelowna. This footage shows an owl grabbing a rat in a parking lot in Glenmore not too long ago. Really, as far as bait goes, I think, uh, and mix it up. Just keep moving it around. Expert Don Stoltz says in order to survive, a rat needs three things. They need water, they need food, and they need some habitat. But the rat problem always hasn't been around, Stoltz says. Rats began appearing in the Okanagan about eight years ago. Born and raised in Kelowna, I don't think only up until the last eight years that I even hear of rats. And Stoltz believes they got here by hitching a ride. Freight trucks coming in, bringing feed from different various locations on the coast. So why does the Okanagan all of a sudden have a rat problem? One theory out there is because they were forced out of their holes by last spring's floods. Lots of reports of this flooding had actually flushed out burrows and under sheds of where some rats were habitating. These folks said we didn't really even realize we had a problem until the flood came up. Stoltz says if you have a rat, you need to deal with it now because the problem won't go away. Do some prevention and and don't think it's just going to go away. It it truly is a problem. Kelly Hayes, Global News, West Kelowna. Mm. A group of students in Vancouver have set a world record by rowing a million meters without leaving their school. Amazing moments. That was the, the, the final moment. The St. George's school rowing team set the record for an under-19 men's team to reach a million metres or a thousand kilometres on a rowing machine in one take. Now, they have, by doing that, raised more than $10,000 for a school in Myanmar with an idea that came together just a few weeks ago. We were rowing uh, for about three days, nonstop. Uh, rowing in shifts, so some guys would come, six or eight guys, uh, three in the morning, uh, a different group of guys would come in in the afternoon, uh, and just continually switching it on and off the erg uh, in a relay race kind of style, uh, just to get to a million meters as quickly as possible. The world record attempt began at around nine o'clock on Thursday night, and it finished around noon today. Well done to all of those guys. Still ahead tonight, dozens have been hurt in Spain after the floor of a nightclub collapsed while they were inside. Plus, there is no love lost between President Donald Trump and CNN, the news organization being publicly attacked again on Twitter. Stay with us for that too. Welcome back. Well, in Egypt, anxiety and anger tonight as authorities are looking for answers to Friday's deadly mosque attack. Many families making funeral arrangements for the 305 people killed. And still, no one has come forward to claim responsibility. Yes, hello from Cairo, where still no group has claimed responsibility for this attack. The Al-Qaeda affiliate in Egypt says it had nothing to do with the attack, which just leaves ISIS really as the only group capable of gathering 30 gunmen. And remember, those gunmen flew the black flag of ISIS before this massacre. Meanwhile, around 20 of the most seriously injured have been flown to hospitals here in Cairo, some of them with life-threatening injuries. And some of those patients have been describing what they saw. 13-year-old Abdullah said that he saw people literally climbing over themselves to escape. He said everyone was terrified. Another 14-year-old in a nearby hospital bed said the gunman first of all told the 
Little children outside the mosque to get lost, then they went inside and attacked and shot at just about everyone. The imam of the mosque who'd just begun his sermon agreed. He said they were shooting at everyone who was breathing. Now remember, those gunmen escaped. They're still free to strike again. There have been no arrests and no fresh airstrikes in the last 36 hours. And people here are angry because they say the Egyptian security forces still can't protect them against ISIS and against Islamist militants. There is a war on here, and it's a war that at the moment Egypt's army and its leader isn't winning. So the flags here still flying at half-staff. The days of mourning are almost over, but the anger here and the anxiety certainly isn't over. Back to you. Bill Neely, thank you very much for that. And also Pope Francis offering support to the victims, families of that attack. The Pope praying at the Vatican this morning, renouncing the violence, saying he strongly condemns the act of brutality directed at innocent civilians that were gathered in prayer. Pope Francis also asked for prayers ahead of his historic visit to Myanmar and Bangladesh. Now, this is going to be the first time a pope has visited Myanmar, which is primarily a Buddhist country. It comes at a time when Myanmar is accused of ethnic cleansing of Rohingya Muslims, causing more than 600,000 of them to flee to refugee camps in Bangladesh. Experts saying that Pope Francis is being advised by his bishops to avoid any mention of this conflict during his visits. It's been another busy day on Twitter for US President Donald Trump, but this time his target is CNN. Yesterday he was having a go at Time magazine. Critics saying that this could all be to distract from the latest political battle he sparked over the Consumer Protection Bureau. President Trump is making use of Twitter's new expanded message size to magnify his fight with a frequent media critic, CNN. The president expounded last night. Fox News is much more important in the United States than CNN. But outside of the U.S., CNN International is still a major source of fake news. And they represent our nation to the world very poorly. The outside world does not see the truth from them. CNN engaged. Its public relations team fired back. It's not CNN's job to represent the U.S. to the world. That's yours. Our job is to report the news. More than words, this comes days after the president's Justice Department filed suit to block the merger of CNN's parent company, Time Warner, and AT&T. Today, President Trump goes back to Washington after a power play over who's in charge at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, an independent agency created during the Obama years by Elizabeth Warren. This is a big test for Donald Trump. He said on the campaign trail that he would stand up to Wall Street. Overnight, the Department of Justice declared in an eight-page memo, we conclude that the president may designate an acting director. A sudden vacancy came when Obama appointee Richard Cordray resigned early and named his own temporary successor, as prescribed by law. But the White House insisted the president gets to decide and named a fierce critic of the bureau, Budget Director Mick Mulvaney. Who knows better how to protect consumers in the state of Ohio, the people of Ohio or the CFPB? President Trump trashed the CFPB on Twitter, a total disaster as run by the previous administration's pick, claiming 
Financial institutions have been devastated. Republicans object to its regulations, while Democrats argue it's been good for consumers. The tug of war comes as the president struggles to deliver on a promise for the middle class. Now we're working on tax cuts, big, fat, beautiful tax cuts. Staying in the U.S., a high-ranking lawmaker has stepped down in the wake of sexual assault allegations made against him. Congressman John Conyers announcing today that he is stepping down as a ranking Democrat. This is after a former staff member says that she was fired for refusing to have sex with him. Other female employees have also come forward. Conyers denying the accusations, saying that he is actually stepping down just to clear his name. Two people are dead after an explosion at a factory in southeastern China this morning. State media showing damaged cars and streets littered with debris. The blast happening in a port city just south of Shanghai. At least 30 people have been hurt, two of them critically. The explosion also knocking down nearby buildings. They have been reportedly empty and were set to be demolished. Investigators have traced the source to a hole in the ground that had been a toilet. No word yet on what caused the blast. Terrifying moments for partygoers in Spain after the floor of the nightclub they were in collapsed underneath them. At least 40 people were hurt when a hole opened in the floor, plunging them meters below. Officials saying that many of the victims were tourists and that they'd suffered various injuries, including broken legs and ankles. An investigation now underway to try and determine what led to the collapse. A volcano on the island of Bali has made air travel a nightmare for tourists this weekend. Mount Agung erupted once last night and three more times this morning, sending ash nearly 4,000 kilometres into the atmosphere. More than 24,000 residents nearby have been forced to evacuate as officials raise the alert to red. The clouds forcing lots of flights to be cancelled and that, as a result, stranded more than 7,000 passengers pretty bad. I actually was in Bali in the early 90s and I did go up a volcano but I'm not sure if that was the one. Oh yeah there's a few of them out there aren't there? Yes. Yeah that's pretty bad. Um, weather wise, good to have you with this by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, weather wise um, oh my goodness the rain I didn't want to go anywhere today. There was a deluge for a few yeah. spots. There's a few heavier pockets that worked its way in depending on where you were across Metro Vancouver this afternoon but it started to ease off so that's the good news there and we're just seeing a few isolated showers for the southern regions of the island and a few lightning strikes still popping up for the western sections of the island. We do have a special weather statement in effect for the southern interior with very windy conditions this evening. We do still have some snow if you're heading along the Coquihalla. I'll have the timing of that. We do have more rain on the way, but there is a bit of a break in between and a few sunny breaks, so I'll have that coming up shortly. Right, just what we need. It's such a challenge when you have kids on a weekend yes. when it's raining like that. It's, you're kind of stuck for ideas. stay in. Yeah, stay in and entertain them. All right, in sport. Or, or watch a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was the case today. A lot of games. The Canucks played against the Rangers, uh, ended up going to a shootout. Canucks lost, but again, played a very strong game. So have highlights of that. Seahawks played and also going on right now, the Grey Cup. And it's been a it's a winter wonderland in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. They've had a huge snow blizzard through there. It's uh, kind of settled down a little bit, but it always makes for fun football when the players are slipping around in the snow. So they're like, <laughs> like, they're like big kids, like 300-pound kids playing in the snow. Yeah, entertaining yeah. for us mm-hmm. to watch yes. this. All right, also still ahead, uh, smoking risks revealed. Anti-smoking advocates are celebrating a court-ordered ad campaign, but what's interesting here is who's actually paying for this. And also, 
Desecrating the dead, vandals targeting a Halifax cemetery, and it is not for the first time. We'll tell you what happened there too. Welcome back. Well, a groundbreaking victory for anti-smoking advocates and medical professionals. New ads telling people the dangers of smoking are rolling out in the U.S. this weekend. But who's paying for them might surprise you. Smoking kills, on average, 1,200 Americans every day. They're short and stark. There is no safe level of exposure to secondhand smoke. This week, these ads are hitting television networks and major newspapers across the country. There is no safe cigarette. All directly addressing the negative impacts of smoking. All cigarettes cause cancer, lung disease, heart attacks, and premature death. The ads are paid for by the tobacco companies themselves, part of a federal court order. It is a really big watershed in terms of um, the industry actually coming clean for the first time ever about the health effects of smoking. It's the end result of a Justice Department racketeering lawsuit against big tobacco stemming back to 1999, claiming the companies lied. It has been a campaign designed to preserve their enormous profits, whatever the cost. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. In 2006, a federal judge ruled defendants have publicly denied, distorted, and minimized the hazards of smoking for decades. But a decade of appeals tied up the action. We really hope that this will help people and um, save lives. The ads are ordered to run for at least a year. When you smoke, the nicotine actually changes the brain. That's why quitting is so hard. A court-ordered course direction, decades in the making, now airing in millions of homes. Steve Patterson, NBC News, Los Angeles. A cemetery in Halifax has been targeted again by vandals. More than 25 headstones knocked over at the Willowbank Cemetery, each one weighing some 700 pounds. Now, some of these date back to the 1800s. It is the third time this has happened at this cemetery. The cost of repairing the headstones is expected to be huge. The cemetery manager now condemning the vandalism and hoping police catch the people behind it. Why would you do it? It's not just the cemetery. It's everyone that has a lot in here feels nervous. Was it their stone? They feel upset. And it's just the history and the beauty of the place. I mean, they took the oldest area in the cemetery and just cleaned it right through. Yeah, why? Coming up, Santa gives up his reindeer for the day. The unusual way St. Nick landed at a farm in upstate New York. We'll share that with you in a few minutes. These are the stories that challenge our perspective. Linda, nice to meet you. I never vote for you because you don't have to. The stories that bring us together. People have lost so much. The stories that offer context. Stir emotion. People are going to die of homelessness. And deliver resolve. These are the stories that shape our landscape. My land is my brother, is my sister, I will fight for it. Global News, we are BC's news. Yeah, this is my year, Yvonne, to learn how to skate. <laughs> I feel it, I th- it's going to happen. You can get those handlebars, it's like a little helper. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah I'd look a bit silly with possible. one of those, though. No, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. better than falling. How long does it uh, take to learn how to skate? I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm no professional, but I'm sure you'd be fine. You All pick right. it up, you're very athletic. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, here we go on what we're looking at. So we did see a few heavier pockets of rain pushing in just closer to the noon hour. It is tapering off, and we're just in between systems, so there is going to be a nice break across Metro Vancouver for a Monday morning commute, but then the rain develops once again by the afternoon. Still spotting a few lightning strikes across the western sections of the island at this hour, and here's the weather picture overlooking Lionsgate with temperatures sitting at 7 degrees for the airport, a southerly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. Our high, though, it was a mild one at 13. Average for this time of the year sits at 7. Record on this day, 15 degrees, and that was set back in 1950. A very happy birthday this evening to Evelyn Schellenberg from Penticton, celebrating 100. So congratulations to you, and I hope you've had a wonderful day. Back to the forecast and some of the numbers. It was mild, well above the average. Areas near Kelowna should typically be sitting closer to 1 today, the double digits with 11. Minus 13 as the high, a chilly one for the northeastern corners of the province. Victoria today up to 12 degrees, and areas near Cranbrook topping out at 8 Satellite and radar, big weather picture once again. So here is a bit of a break just in between the next frontal system that's going to push in by tomorrow afternoon and evening. There's still an additional 15 and up to 25 millimeters for Metro Vancouver. If you're heading along any of the mountain passes, we are looking at some snowfall for the Coquihalla, 15 and up to 25 centimeters. This will be overnight and then tapering off late day for Monday, winter driving conditions. Future cast into play, there's the next wave of moisture that pushes in as early as the afternoon. Across the south coast, we are going to see some heavier pockets right along the central coast. It'll ease off in between systems once again, but still going to be rain very unsettled. And that takes us into Tuesday, Wednesday. The piece tomorrow with the partly cloudy sky. Temperatures will be at minus 10. We're still seeing snowfall for Fort Nelson this evening with a snowfall warning and an additional 10 centimeters. Whitehorse tomorrow at minus 15 with a chance of flurries on and off. Coastal sections, rain and heavy at times with the temperature bumping up to 7 degrees. Caribou and Central Interior flurries with a southerly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. And much of the southern interior, we still do have a special weather statement that has been issued. With the westerly wind, with that front pushing through this evening, we could see gusts of up to 80 kilometers per hour. And then it's going to taper off late this evening. Columbia and Kootenai region, temperatures up to 5 tomorrow with a mainly cloudy sky. Thompson, Okanagan, so very windy this evening. But tomorrow, mainly cloudy with a high of 7. Whistler could still see some wet flurries for the morning hours, changing over to a chance of showers, temperatures at 3. And along the island, we are seeing on and off shower activity, so it still remains unsettled. But there is a few waves of moisture for Metro Vancouver that are going to bring us heavier amounts of rain. Periods of rain still for our Tuesday onwards. Temperatures over the next few days, anywhere between 8 and 9 degrees. Sonia? Brilliant. Thanks very much for that, everyone. All right, coming up, the Canucks, of course, have been on the road and Vancouver facing a real big battle in the Big Apple this afternoon. Barry will break that down for us, uh, along with your other day's uh, top sports stories after this break. All right, welcome back. Uh, we are talking a lot of sports today and the Canucks were in my favourite place. I wish they'd taken me with them. Is, that where you, is New York your kind of town? Love New York, yeah. Love the Big Apple. Yeah. We'll have to go there one time, maybe oh. just for a weekend. Oh, all right then. Nothing, oh, thanks. Nothing grand. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Sonia. Uh, the Canucks have played their best hockey this season on the road, and they were looking for more positive results this afternoon at Madison Square Garden in Game 4 of their six-game road trip. Another injury to deal with, however, Brandon Sutter sat out today. Although Travis Green says it's not overly serious, Nikolai Goldobin got the call up from the farm but did not dress. Daniel Sedin sitting on 900. 98 career points, but it's Henrik who creates the Canucks' first goal of the game, forces the turnover, sets up Louis Erickson, who snaps it past 
fellow Swede Henrik Lundqvist. Third of the year for Louis, all coming on this road trip. one nothing Canucks after one. Second period, Canucks get another. Nice work down low by Brendan Gauntz and Marcus Granlund to set up the snipe from Jake Vertanen. The two best shots on the Canucks, Brock Besser followed by Vertanen. Jake just needs to fire more, and he'll get results like this. 2 nothing Vancouver and looking very strong. But late in the second, Canucks get running around in their own zone, and the coverage is not good here. Brendan Smith with the shot tipped in by Jesper Fast. That made it 2-1 after two. And then on the opening shift of the third, Michael Grabner, the former Canuck down the left wing, fires it in off the glove of Jacob Markstrom, who wants that one back. Markstrom had a strong game, but that's a goal he should have had. 2-2, but the Canucks get it right back. Sam Gagne pulling the trigger from the slot off the feed from Thomas Vanek. 3-2 Canucks. Gagne's third of the year, although the celebration needs work. Failed to stick the landing there. He'll take it. 3-2 Canucks. Rangers respond. Rick Nash. Little spinorama pass there to Jimmy Vesey. Pretty goal. It's 3-3. A wild back-and-forth game on Broadway. New York nearly took the lead, but Alex Edler with the kick save there to Rob Nash of a sure goal. Remains 3-3. Goes to overtime. Best chance comes from Daniel Sedin off the feed from Henrik, but Lundqvist denies him. So Daniel stays at 998 career points. To the shootout we go. Brock Besser's first career attempt. And it's a goal. Would you expect anything less? Canucks had the advantage twice in the shootout, but the Rangers scored both times to extend it. And then the seventh shooter, Jimmy BC, ends it. A great shot, high glove. Rangers take it 4-3 in a shootout. Canucks get a point. 2-1-1 one one on the road trip now. Next up at the Islanders on Tuesday. Oilers and Bruins, Edmonton third worst record in the NHL, desperate to get on a roll. Second period down one nothing. Great cross-ice pass. Zach Cassian to Patrick Maroon, who snaps in his seventh, ties it at one. Then four minutes later, it'll be Adam Larson with the point shot, and that goes in off a of Bruin skate in front. Right there, past Tuka Rast, 2-1 Oilers lead, but Boston gets it right back. Riley Nash on the rush. Nice setup for David Krejci. 2-2 after two. But early in the third, Ryan Strom with a rocket under the bar on Rask. Just the fourth of the year for Strom. It was the game winner. Oilers have now beaten Boston six straight, 4-2 the final today. Well, last year, the Stampeders were overwhelming favorites to beat Ottawa in the Grey Cup, but the Stamps ended up losing in overtime. Once again this year, Calgary seems like a sure bet to beat the 9-9 Argos, but this current Calgary team has not exactly played its best football in pressure situations in recent years. Could they put it all together tonight in Ottawa at the 105th Grey Cup? A driving snowstorm in Ottawa on Grey Cup Day. Now that's Canada right there as Dave Dickinson leads his team onto the field. Stamps going for it on third and two in the first. Bo Levi Mitchell to Kamar Jordan who gets around the corner and takes it in for the touchdown. Hard to get footing for the defenders as well as the receivers here. Six-nothing Stamps. Second quarter, Argos hem deep but Ricky Ray to Devere Posey makes the catch and then takes it to the house or the igloo I guess in this case. A 100-yard touchdown pass for Ray. Literally the only good play the Argos made the entire half. Tied the game at six. Stamps regain the lead though. It's big Jerome Messam with the five-yard touchdown run. 
Calgary really had all the play, but led just 17-8 at the half. And at the half, Shania Twain making a grand entrance on dog sled. The Canadian icon helping melt some of that snow at halftime. Great show by her. Third quarter, it's Ricky Ray to Devere Posey one more time. Stopped just short of the end zone, but the Argos would punch it in two plays later. It was a one-point game, 17-16. But the Stamps answer, Bo Levi to Jerome Messam, who just stays in bounds for the touchdown. 24-16 at that point, but Toronto has just scored on a long fumble return. 24-all, late fourth, so a dramatic finish at the Grey Cup. Still to come, it's getting serious for the Seahawks. Seattle with an absolute must-have win today against the lowly 49ers. They couldn't have possibly lost to those 1-9 and nine Niners, could they? We'll find out when we come back. yourself in the magic of a white Christmas. Visit Santa, meet real reindeer, and experience Vancouver's North Pole during Grouse Mountain's peak of Christmas until January 7th. Info at grousemountain.com. Vancouver's popular Christmas market returns to Jackpool Plaza. The beloved holiday tradition has more than 75 huts of authentic German sweets, treats, and treasures until December 24th. Tickets at vancouverchristmasmarket.com. For RBC, I'm Yvonne Schell. Our BC is brought to you by Alpine Credits. Own your own home and need a loan? Get approved in less than 24 hours at alpinecredits.ca. Welcome back. The Seahawks have had another stuttery season, just 6-4 and four through 10 games, which has included two rare home losses, but they're still in the playoff hunt. They began the day a game behind first place L.A. Rams in the NFC West and had a seemingly easy matchup at the 1-9 49ers, but San Fran played them tough earlier this year when Seattle barely beat them 12-9 at CenturyLink Field. Seahawks have a tough schedule coming up. They really need this one. First offensive play, Russell Wilson setting the tone with an interception. Not the way they were hoping to start this one. It didn't cost them anything. Scoreless after one. 49ers are hapless offensively. Second quarter still scoreless. The defense makes a big play like they often do. Bobby Wagner wrestles the ball away from the 49ers receiver for the interception. That was around the 20-yard line, and that leads to this Russell Wilson touchdown run from three yards out, and the Seahawks had the lead 7-3 at the half. Third quarter, Seahawks with a nice long drive, and it's capped off by this Wilson touchdown pass to Nick Vanette, who got more playing time after Luke Wilson left the game with a concussion. So 14-6 Seattle after three, and then in the fourth quarter, knocking on the door again, Wilson going to Jimmy Graham from a yard out. These two starting to find some chemistry, finally, I guess, after Graham's been there for a few years. Touchdown Seahawks, it was 21-6, and the defense made sure there would be no comeback. Michael Bennett will sack C.J. Beathard, third sack of the day for the Hawks. Seattle takes care of business, 24-13 the final. Seahawks improved to 7-4. Meanwhile, the Rams were at home to the Red Hot Saints, two of the best in the NFC. New Orleans riding an eight-game win streak. Rams are very good, though, and they score in their opening drive. Jared Goff to Sammy Watkins for the five-yard TD. 7-0 Rams. Saints got a big play late in the first to stay in this one. Alvin Kamara busts this one to the outside, and he is gone. Looks like they have the angle on him, but he just pulls away and gets in for the 74-yard touchdown. 10-7, Rams still led after one. L.A. built on the lead in the second. Goff will hook up with Josh Reynolds all sorts of times. Seven-yard touchdown, 17-10, Rams 
at the half. Saints had a big rally last week versus Washington. Under two minutes to go, down 13. Breeze to Kamara for the touchdown to cut the lead to 26-20. But that's as close as they got. Both teams 8-3. and three, So Seattle remains a game back of L.A. in the NFC West. Meanwhile, the Eagles just continue to soar. NFL's best 9-1 and one record coming in. The Bears couldn't give them much of a game. First quarter, Carson Wentz, 17 yards to Zach Ertz. 23 touchdown passes so far for Wentz. 7-0 Eagles. Second quarter, Wentz to Nelson Aguilar. He will go up and over for the touchdown. 15-yarder, 14-0 for the Eagles. And before the half, Wentz with his third TD pass of the game to Alshon Jeffrey. Perfect touch from Wentz. Up to 25 touchdown passes now. The Eagles are bowling over the competition right now. 10-1 record, best in the NFL. They visit the Seahawks next Sunday night. Carolina Panthers trying to hang with the top teams in the NFC at the Jets today. Fourth quarter, tight ball game, and the Panther defense comes up big. They force the fumble, and Luke Kikwi with the 34-yard fumble return for the touchdown. Panthers go up by 6, 26-20, and then a couple minutes later, a special play on special teams. Kalen Clay with the punt return, and he's not stopping until he finds the end zone. A 60-yard touchdown return. Panthers hold off the Jets 35-27, Carolina now 8-3. and Any chances All right, football of a different kind. Premier League, Huddersfield hosting Manchester City. City riding a 10-match EPL win streak. They were down 1-0 at the half, but Sergio Aguero off the penalty kick there, tied it at 1. And then in the 84th, Gabriel Jesus shot a stop, but it deflects right off Raheem Sterling into the net. It seems the great teams always get the luck, don't they? Man City... 12 in a row now, 37 points, highest point total by any Premier club at this point in the season. Meanwhile, a big chance for Burnley to move up into the top five, hosting Arsenal. But just when it looked like they would settle for a nil-nil draw, there's a foul call in the box. Hard to disagree with that, a pretty hard push from behind. Alexis Sanchez is going to take the kick for Arsenal, and he breaks Burnley's hearts from the spot in stoppage time. Arsenal gets the 1-0 win. They move past Tottenham and Liverpool into fourth. Burnley now seventh. And let's take a look back to the high school football AAA semis from BC Place last night. New West and South Delta. New West blew a 21-point lead in the fourth, but with under two minutes to go, they go a little razzle-dazzle. It's a reverse, and Sebastian Reed takes it all the way for the touchdown, a 40-yard play. New Westminster wins at 52-45. And in the other semi, Terry Fox of Port Coquitlam in white taking on St. Thomas Moore of Burnaby. Late first half, the Ravens' Cade Cote will burst 84 yards for the touchdown. Terry Fox take it 28-21. So it'll be Terry Fox Ravens and New Westminster High Axe in next Saturday's AAA championship game at BC Place. All right. Brilliant. All nicely done. We'll be back in a couple of minutes for one final story. If you're a fan of Santa Claus, you won't want to miss it. Stay with us, guy. <laughs> Finally, if the kids are watching, we have spotted Santa Claus and we can tell you where he is. 
today, <laughs> Santa was seen and, oh, there you go, Santa was seen paragliding from 1,300 metres high and landing on a Christmas tree farm. This is in upstate New York. It was a safe landing, obviously looking very happy. Hundreds of kids and parents, obviously very, very <laughs> excited to see him. And it's nice to see him doing a few high fives there as well. Looks like Santa's been working out a little <laughs> bit. You know, he's kind of gotten rid of the, uh, of the belly the a little bit. Yeah, well, you, but, those you know. chimneys can be a challenge.